Welcome, Alternative News listeners, and thank you for soul vaccination for getting my soul right. This is your community radio station, 91.7, and this is a pre-recorded broadcast produced on Saturday, May the 23rd, to be rebroadcast on Monday, May the 25th, 2020. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. This is our sixth post-COVID virus show, A New World, but the same place. And as we do before we go to all of our show content each week, we first go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. Uh, this is your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Friday, May the 22nd, for our show that will be broadcast on Monday, May the 25th, 2020, which, of course, is Memorial Day. One thought about Memorial Day, I appreciate the fact that it was created following the Civil War for people that died in wars and there's so many conflicts that go on in the world today and during my lifetime that are a result of the kind of foreign policy issues that I've been studying for a very long time. I really have extended my interpretation of Memorial Day to pay tribute to the family members of those that have lost people in wars. And that's just not on the American side, but on all sides of war. With that in focus, our job here is to try to reduce the amount of conflict and those types of things. It's, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest for tonight, a frequent contributor to Bringing Light into Darkness, Mike Whitney from Washington State. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pedro. 
Yeah, well, Mike is an investigative journalist uh, with an outstanding record of teasing out believable representations of quote-unquote news from contrived narratives whose operating procedure is rather simply to kind of fix the facts around the policy, the narrative, if you will. I've always been impressed, Mike, by your work because you've been consistently in the close neighborhood of the truth when compared relatively to what we hear from mainstream media and also even progressive parts of the media. So, so th- again, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for that. Sure. Focusing on these COVID issues for the last few weeks, I wanted to remember that there's a world outside of the United States and wanted to focus back into the Syrian theater. I wanted to start by, these were remarks by President Obama. We talked about these narratives and those types of things that we come to learn. Our foreign policy can best be described from looking at our interventions around the world as lawless, that we are really bullies. We use our economic and military might to back up what could best be described as kind of a a form of coercive diplomacy. We employ sanctions, we destabilize countries through infiltration of civil societies, through our intelligence and, and and their allies. Receiving funding from the State Department, National Endowment for Democracy, etc. We fund proxy military oppositions. At the end of the day, you're either with us or against us, as George Bush put it so aptly. And if you know anything about bullying, you know it's morally and ethically wrong. Might is not right, and too often it is wrong. The arrogance of a nation is how it robs the sovereignty of other countries' governments. And you are entitled to sovereign choices as long as our country agrees with them. Which makes them insovereign choices. If we do not agree, they can reach a certain threshold. And if you're on the wrong side of that threshold, then you become our enemy, so to speak. And if you're against us, then only then do we pretend to care in a significant way about human rights, responsibility to protect doctrine and the rest of it. So that is why we allow these gross human rights violations to occur in the Gulf monarchies, in Colombia, in Saudi Arabia, and throughout the world. But we call out much lighter compromises of civil rights in countries like Like. Cuba, Syria, Venezuela, or any other country that refuses to cede its sovereign choices to the U.S. Western investment interests. So narratives are contrived and passed on to the American consciousness. So to solve the riddle is our job here, I think. And to separate fact from fiction, from uncertainty, through research and reasonable analysis is our methodology. And I wanted to just start off on this Syrian deal because oftentimes the premises of what we base our understandings on may be faulty. And I can remember President Obama remarks to the UN back in September 18, 2015. He said, let's remember how this started in Syria, as if it all started in 2011 with the democratic uh, protests and, and Assad reacted to peaceful protests by escalating the repression. Instead, we were involved way before that. This according to a April 18, 2011 article by Al Jazeera entitled U.S.-funded Syria opposition groups. We actually began our secret funding of the Syrian opposition at least in 2006, okay, some five years earlier. It included, these, this is according to diplomatic cables released by WikiLeaks to the Washington Post, that the U.S. State Department has channeled up to $6 million dollars since 2006 to a group of Syrian exiles to operate Barada TV and to finance 
activities inside Syria. The television station closely affiliated with the Movement for Justice and Development, a London-based network of Syrian exiles, the paper said, and has <coughs> ramped up operations to cover the mass protests in Syria. It added that U.S. money for Syrian opposition groups began under George Bush, the former president, after ties with Damascus were frozen in 2005. Additionally, cables provided by WikiLeaks revealed some U.S. diplomats questioning the decision to provide funding, saying that Syrian authorities, quote, would undoubtedly view any U.S. funds going to illegal political groups as tantamount to supporting regime change, end quote. Why don't you explain to your, uh, your listeners why this opposition to Assad originally came and you know, I would think you'd have to say something about the pipelines, right? Oh, well, absolutely. But I, I think the point is, is that the financial backing continued under <clears throat> Obama, despite an attempt by his administration to rebuild relations in the Middle East. And the article said it was unclear whether Washington was still funding these opposition groups, but the cables indicate money was set aside through September of 2010. I, I guess the real reason for just bringing that up is just this kind of false notion that everything started in 2011, that they started it. That's, those are the words to the UN by Barack Obama. And I wanted to play this clip for you to have you speak to. It's about a minute and 40 seconds, but this is Mike Morell. He was a CIA head, and this, this is this 2016 interview excerpt from Charlie Rose. He was very, very close to Hillary Clinton. And he was expecting, I'm sure, to be part of her very close circle of advisors once she won the uh, presidential election, which, of course, uh, she did not. But let's listen to this, Mike, and let me have you comment on, on this. I'd give them the, thing, the, the, the things that they need to both go after the Assad government, but, but also to have the, have the Iranians and the Russians pay a little price, right? When we were in Iraq, the Iranians were giving weapons to the Shia militia who were killing American soldiers, right. right? They were making, the Iranians were making us pay a price. We need to make the Iranians pay a price in Syria. We need to make the Russians pay a price. The other okay, thing I we would need, do... We make them pay the price by killing, killing Russians? Yes. And, and killing Iranians. Iranians? Yes. Covertly. So the, you don't tell the world about it, right? You don't stand up at the Pentagon and say, we did this, right? But you make sure they know it in Moscow but, and Tehran. The people who Here's the other thing I want to do. Here's the other thing I want to do. I want to go after... I want to go after those things that Assad sees as his personal power base, right? I want to scare Assad. So I want to, I want to um, go after his presidential guard. I want to bomb his offices in the middle of the night. Well, that happened about two years ago. As you remember when his brother-in-law was... I want to destroy his presidential aircraft on the ground. I want to destroy his presidential helicopters. I want to make him think we're coming after him, right? Um, I'm not advocating assassinating him. I'm not, av I'm not advocating that. I'm advocating going after the, what he thinks is his power base, right, and what he needs to survive. I want him to think about um, this is not going to end well for me, right? Mm. Um, I want to I put pressure on him. I want to put pressure on the Iranians. I want to put pressure on the Russians to come to that diplomatic settlement. Okay, Mike, so this is this 2016 interview excerpt from Charlie Rose. So one of these false narrative things is that Iranians were killing U.S. soldiers in Iraq. Uh, there's no mention that we illegally invaded another country, as if, uh, if a country invaded us and we fought back against them in any form or fashion or an ally of ours fought back against them, that that would be some irredeemable crime and stuff. But your comments from just the pure arrogance 
and the, the assassination implications that this guy, Mike Morrell, CIA former head, had to share back well, in 2016. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't want to fake outrage because, you know, we're both so familiar with this for the last 75 years. You know, basically, you start off with a national security state being created in 1949 and the CIA, and they've been involved in what? nearly 50 coups ever since then, and this kind of uh, secret armies and black sites and uh, renditions and all these kinds of things, Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't want to feign outrage here for your your listeners, uh, but it's been going on for a long time, and the people in these foreign capitals understand what's going on, too. It's just that, you know, previously it seemed to be d- done with a lot more discretion and a lot more professionalism. Now we have uh, people like Pompeo, who are vicious but equally incompetent. And it's just basically an embarrassment the way that they, their brutality is followed by their stupidity. So it's just, I mean, you, you see right now what they're doing as far as Syria, Iran, China, uh, Cuba, and I don't know who else you would add to that significantly, but, you know, it's just a failed foreign policy, and uh, we're basically seeing, I think, the changing of the guard as these other countries emerge with something that they're actually promising to provide for the world. You know, this Belt and Road Initiative by China. China's basically rebuilding the infrastructure all through Asia and Europe and and Africa as well. And that's going to create an entirely new world where prosperity is shared more widely. Maybe not equally. It's going to be a capitalist system. I know that. But what is it that the United States is promising the rest of the world with their vision? Well, we don't even pave the roads in this country. We don't even support the schools or the healthcare system in this in this country. So uh, I don't think people are going to be very excited about the prospect of this new world order with Washington at the uh, center of the action, because it's just a system that people are rejecting now. Mm-hmm. Well, let me move back to your thing that you had brought up on the phone earlier. This article by Tyler Duran and Zero Hedge back on May 13th, just a week or so ago, or two ago, my job is to make Syria a quagmire for the Russians. The CIA doctrine made official policy. This was uh, alluding to the U.S. special envoy to the region, James Jeffrey, admitting this. But the point of this article includes the fact that at least 100 Russian soldiers have been killed in Syria since September of 2015. And like other previous rationalizations for our presence, they just keep changing. It's shifted drastically multiple times, according to the author here. And ultimately, it started as a U.S. covert regime change effort targeting Assad to protect civilians. And then it conveniently switched to defeating terrorism. And then, you know, now it's all about defeating the Russians. In other words, it it just reflects the, the lack of integrity and honesty of our policies, that it could change so frequently to adapt to the real foreign policy interests, which are hegemonic per se. But your thoughts about this perpetual war thing and just, you know, this kind of nefarious notion that if, you know, you have war for the sake of war and I guess somehow trying to cripple your more powerful adversaries to your own foreign policy, i.e. Russia in this case. Well, I mean, uh, you'll probably notice that uh, the last three years was nothing but Russia, Russia, Russia. Now it's shifted to China, China, China. And uh, that's always been a uh, contentious matter between elites. There's two factions, one of them feeling like Russia is the greatest threat. Not because Russia poses any economic threat to us, but because Russia's game plan is economic. They actually consider Moscow part of greater Europe, and they want to integrate 
the energy systems and the eventual economic systems of Europe and Asia. And that leaves the United States out, outside looking in from the uh, cold. So they don't want that to happen. But now it's shifted to China because, you know, they're uh, the manufacturing giant in the world. So they, you know, outright in economic terms with 5G and they're, uh, you know, moving into technology and uh, other areas that we once dominated. The United States feels very threatened. So this is moving closer to some sort of military confrontation that, uh, you know, maybe can't be avoided. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that the United States has too many irons on the fire at the same time. Its power is noticeably eroding. It's shifting from economic and diplomatic dominance and using those as part of its soft power to manage the world has been completely abandoned. Everything is military. And yet in the last 20 years, you can see every single military adventure has met with defeat. So uh, there's nothing that we have in the toolbox right now, except for the toppling of small governments like uh, Honduras, that has worked at all for us. And now there's a coalition of states that are much more organized, uh, much more influential, and much more prosperous that are out and out against us because of our aggressive and hostile foreign policy. So I don't see how this wins or how this moves the ball down the field as far as the geostrategic planners in the Pentagon, if we have, even have them, or in the CIA, because they just don't seem to recognize how badly we're being beaten everywhere, and they don't have a reset button, which really concerns me. It should concern all of us, particularly the way the Federal Reserve and the government right now is uh, spending money like it's gone out of style, at least, by my calculation, $10 trillion in the last two months by these, you know, the, the giant stimulus surplus and the uh, Fed giveaways through QE and uh, supporting the market. If you think about it for a minute, in last month, it was the largest sell-off of U.S. Treasuries in the, in the history of the country. And so what that tells me is the central banks and and foreign economic financial centers are abandoning the dollar and U.S. Treasuries because they think the United States is getting to be a credit risk. It's no longer risk-free to buy money from someone who just printed up $10 trillion. That's not a risk-free adventure. That's the sort of recklessness that ends an empire. And I think that's, we're headed in that direction. Yeah, we're speaking with Mike Whitney, investigative journalist on the West Coast and has written an awful lot about these larger geopolitical economic issues, which, of course, you know, shape the world we live in immensely outside of our uh, appreciation. Mike, I wanted to turn back to this focus on Syria and the misrepresentations and kind of bringing, bringing some light into some of these contradictions that have never made it to the mainstream news. You have this recent situation with Michael Flynn. On April 17th, President Obama nominated Flynn to be the 18th director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he took command of the DIA back in July of 2012. In that period of time, there was actually a DIA memo. It was from 2012 that was indicating a number of things, that we were actually we were less safe from the threat of Islamic terrorism, potentially, because the opposition was so firmly entrenched through the leading forces of terrorist terrorist groups and such. And I wanted to play this excerpt. It's about three minutes long. It's an audio related to that declassified DIA memo. It wasn't declassified until 2015. So this actual clip is from 2015. 
It's on RT, and it kind of hits the nail on the head about regarding the, the myth of moderate opposition. This is what John Kerry was pushing. This is what President Obama was pushing. And in fact, from the very, very beginning of this military side of this conflict, it was clear that this was a jihadist-led proxy war. So let me let, let you listen to this and then have you comment. We'll include several voices, including that of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn in his claim in light of the findings of 2012 DIA memo that was declassified that the Obama administration knew, and it was a willful decision to move forward knowing that likely they were building a Salafist fundamentalist movement in this part of the world, cut from the same cloth as the 9-11 perpetrators. Now, the State Department continues to point the finger at Bashar Assad's government for Islamic State's advance. That's even after a former U.S. intelligence chief admitted that the American government knew its policies would lead to the rise of ISIL. Let's get more on this now from Artis Gianni Chikian. Um, Gianni, what has been revealed then? Well, uh, the former director of Defense Intelligence Agency, Michael Flynn, said uh, back in 2012, U.S. policymakers had the intelligence uh, saying that the major driving forces behind the insurgency in Syria were extremists, but supported the in insurgency anyway. Who wasn't listening? I think the, I think the administration. So the administration turned a blind eye to your analysis? I don't know if they turned a blind eye. I think it was a decision. I think it was a willful decision. Well, I went to the State Department to ask about this willful decision, but received the State Department's default answers to almost all questions related to Syria, and that is, it's all Assad's fault. Would you admit, like uh, Michael Flynn did, that in 2012, the U.S. supported the rise of the forces that we now call ISIL in order to defeat Assad? This is John Kirby of the State Department at a press conference. I'm certainly not going to talk to an intelligence report that I haven't seen. The rise of ISIL inside Syria was in fact helped by uh, the Assad regime's lack of legitimacy to govern effectively its own people and its own territory. Well, now, this intelligence report from 2012, which the State Department spokesperson refused to comment on, was released uh, under the Freedom of Information Act. And, you know, it has some strikingly accurate predictions about the creation of the Islamic State. And it also says, quote, there's the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syrian regime, end of quote. Now, this raises the question, isn't it similar to what happened in Afghanistan, you know, with supporting the Mujahideen who then turned against the U.S.? Or as Hillary Clinton said, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, we had this brilliant idea that we were going to come to Pakistan and create a force of Mujahideen, equip them with Stinger missiles and everything else to go after the Soviets inside Afghanistan. And then we said, great, goodbye, leaving these trained people who were fanatical, creating a mess, frankly, that uh, at the time we didn't really recognize. We were just so happy to see the Soviet Union fall. Well, the Obama administration uh, now says that they support moderate Syrian opposition forces. They say it now. They said it three years ago. But according to the director, the chief of the Defense Intelligence Agency, the policymakers did know that not all of those forces were moderate. Okay, Mike, so just real quick. The truth of the matter is that the military forces fighting Assad were always led by the jihadists. They were the strength of the armed insurrection against 
the Syrian state, period. You know, basically the big take home was that what Flynn was saying as the head of the DIA to the president and the White House was these were all jihadist forces and we knew it. So they knew it. We knew it from from day one. Yet we continued to perpetuate the lie that there was some type of moderate force uprising against the Syrian government. Of course, Hillary Clinton brings in the, the, the point that these jihadists, you know, they're talking about Osama bin Laden back in, in the 1980s, fighting on behalf of U.S. interests against the Russia, creating a quagmire for them, uh, giving him a bunch of stinger missiles. And then lo and behold, what happens, you know, they take down the 9-11 tower. So the, this complicity for the risk of this expansion of the empire, if you will, or whatever, with complete disregard for really the national security interests of the United States. If not disregard, it certainly was not the priority, as they're always saying rhetorically, uh, that it is. What, 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 what is your comments about the main force of this last piece? Well, it, it's really no surprise. If you remember, John Bolton was in the Wall Street Journal with an article way back when, years ago, saying that the United States' goal should be to create a Sunni stand, since they removed the Sunnis from power in Iraq, that they would try to create an independent Sunni stand that would take, you know, occupy eastern Syria and uh, western Iraq and the Fallujah area. And, uh, of course, that idea was already was floating around in the uh, Brookings Institute. Michael O'Hanlon, their chief uh, geostrategic guy over there, and he was talking about the ultimate plan to balkanize or to splinter Syria and uh, have the Sunnis occupy and other ethnic groups occupy different parts of Syria. So the plans were always out there. What we didn't have, and even though we knew from Cy Hirsch's great reporting that the jihadists that had flowed into Syria were being armed, trained, and supported by the CIA with logistical support as well, we didn't, we couldn't, you know, follow the footprints right back to the ISIS camp itself. But we know that a lot of their leadership was the former Ba'ath leaders in the Saddam Hussein regime that ended up in prison, a prison camp. I forget the name of it. It begins with a B, Boku or something like that, that the United States oversaw and where these people basically matriculated into the ISIS force that they are. So basically only about a third of them are religious fanatics, and also a lot of them are just Ba'athists who are trying to, you know, get their own piece of the action in the future split up of the of the Middle East. But of course, that's plan is not working out because Vladimir Putin decided at great risk to himself and his country, it's not a popular decision in Russia, uh, decided to intervene and stop this constant, incessant uh, toppling of regimes that is causing instability through the center of the world's energy epicenter. And so he got involved and basically stopped the United States in their tracks. It's the first time since World War II anyone is actively involved in stopping U.S. strategic planning. And I think that's why he went to the top of the hit list for more than three years. But now it's shifted back to China because China's issues are even more pressing for the United States because they're getting into 5G and uh, leading the world in AI and other forms of technology. And that's the greater risk to the U.S. on a, on a corporate level. Yes, yeah, very good analysis. So listen, Mike, we need to take a quick break for the cause. So please stay with us. We'll be back with our special guest, Mike Whitney, right after this brief pause. You are listening to the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, right here in Austin, Texas.